0: Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to uh, the book of 1 Samuel, First Samuel chapter 20. And I, again, I just want to say thank you for the uh, opportunity that the, the pastors have given me uh, to intern. It's been a really eye-opening experience the last several months. And uh, thank you to all of you, uh, just the, the constant words of encouragement. Just you know, asking, uh, what have you learned so far? That's just been, been really helpful for me. Um, and we'll see if they can put up with me for another several months. We have some very patient pastors here. Um, but 1 Samuel and chapter 20. And let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll see what he has for us tonight. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, as it um, is living and it's powerful, God, Uh, as it addresses everything that we'll ever face in our lives. God, I pray for uh, the message tonight, Father, that I I would communicate your word clearly. Father, that I'd get out of the way and that your message would come through. God, I pray that... um, we would just learn tonight from, from this, this story that you've given us, Father. See what you have for us. We pray all this now in your son's name. Amen. So dealing with my sisters, I have, I have two, older and younger, but dealing with both of them learning to drive was really one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Now, it's not because they're bad drivers in and of themselves, but I just don't trust them. You know, I, I still remember for both of them, the first time I ever got in the car with them, you know, uh, they'd probably been driving for a couple weeks at this point, but I'd never ridden with them, and so it's like, get in, the door's closed, and they start, they start driving, but there's all this anxiety going off in my heart, you know, all, all these worries, is like, oh, wait, are you gonna stop, stop, stop sign, stop sign, brake lights, do you, you see the brake lights, stop the car, don't don't turn too sharp. We, we got we got, we got to ease. We got ease into the turn. Did you did we look? Are we good to turn? Did we look both ways? All, just all these fears just just rushing through my mind. I, I was scared. I, I was scared to have them drive. I, I, why? I mean, it's not that complicated. I didn't want to die. You know, I, I didn't want to get in a car accident and die. I mean, I didn't have a reason to be fearful. They're not they're not bad drivers. But but I was scared anyways. I didn't want to submit to their driving. I want to give my, my life, my control of my life over to somebody else. And in a much larger and more serious scale, don't we often do this in our Christian life? You know, being, being a Christian involves submitting, submitting to what God has for us, whatever that may look like. And it looks different for each one of us. But well, Each one of us is called to submit to what God has for us. And and it's often hard. I mean, when God when God calls us to do something easy, you know, we're all excited. You know, God, you want me to work a six figure job? I, I think I can do that. I think I think I'm pretty okay with that. God, you want me to pop and be popular? I think I think I can do that. But most of the submission most submission that God calls us to isn't like that. God, you you really want me to witness to that person? What will they what will they think of me? What will my friends think of me? God, you want me to trust me? You want me to trust you? when i don't have a job god you want me to give my whole life to full time ministry god you want me to trust you that you had a reason for taking away that loved one you know as christians we're afraid to submit to god's plan because of what it might cost us or you know what what are you going to take from me god what am i going to have to give you know we we want to live life our own way because it'll be less painful it'll be easier but in our passage tonight, we'll see that God calls us to submit no matter what it costs. Now, in our, in our passage tonight, we're picking up right in the middle of the, the, the conflict between David and Saul. Uh, in fact, in just the previous chapter, um, David has escaped three separate attempts on his life. Um, Saul tries to kill him first by throwing a spear at him for the second time. And then Saul tries to kill him at his house, and he ultimately escapes with the help of his wife. And then most recently, just at the end of this chapter, or chapter 19, Saul has sent three separate groups of messengers to kill him, and then ultimately Saul went and tried to kill himself, and the Lord intervened and protected David. Now in chapter 20, the focus shifts from David, where we've been been, um, watching his life for the past several chapters, but the focus shifts to Jonathan, and Jonathan's about to be called to submit to some of the hardest events he'll ever face in his life, the hardest things we ever have recorded. So if you look at me in verse 1, it says, Then David fled from Noath and Ramah, and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So first we'll see that submitting often involves facing unknowns. So David, just at Noath at Ramah, and this is where Saul tried to kill him for the third time. And so he runs. He goes to somebody who should know what's going on, Jonathan. Jonathan is the king's son. So if anybody knows what, what is Saul intending here, that's going to be Jonathan. Now, not only is Jonathan the king's son, he's also David's best friend. So he goes to somebody he can trust. And in this verse 1, we'll, we'll see that our first unknown we often have to face is the Why? You know, why, why are you facing what you are? Why am I walking through this trial? God, why do I have to go through this? You know, put yourself in David's place as he's facing this. He's, he's thinking, okay, what, what have I done here? Well, uh, I mean, he's, all he's done is serve Saul. All, in, in chapter 17, he kills Goliath. And then right after that, he goes and kills the rest of the Philistines. You know, literally saves Israel from oppression. And then in the, in the next several chapters, he's been playing the harp for Saul to see the spirit, only for Saul to chuck a spear at him. So he's thinking, okay, what have I done to deserve this? What, what's going on? All I have done is serve, and I don't know why I am facing this. And, and whenever God puts something in our way that, 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 isn't, that isn't pleasant, don't those start, same questions start to run through our mind? God, God, why am I facing this illness? Why doesn't that person like me? God, why did you take away that family member? Why? Submission often involves facing unknowns, just not knowing why. But not only does it involve facing not knowing why, but so often submission involves not knowing the whole picture. Verse 2, Jonathan responds to David, what is going on? He says, by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing either great or small without telling me first. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. So Jonathan's response isn't, this is why why Saul's going to kill you. And he said, there's no way. Saul's not going to kill you. It's it's not going to happen. So he backs up the conversation from why is Saul trying to kill me to is Saul trying to kill David? Jonathan doesn't know the whole picture. But note David's response. He says, David took an oath and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So he says, no, 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 Saul is going to kill me. There's no way he's not going to. And this, this, problem, this problem is urgent. Notice the language he uses. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives. Like this, this is a problem and this problem needs to be solved like right now. Like we need to find a solution to this right now. And so Jonathan in verse 4, he says, whatever you self-desire, I'll do for you. So, okay, I don't agree. I don't think Saul's going to try to kill you, but whatever you want, I'll do it, okay? And so then David starts the question, okay, maybe, maybe Saul isn't. Maybe Jonathan's right. And so he comes up with this plan. Look with me at verse 5. He says, and David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me, they might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he's very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. So, so he acknowledges Jonathan's point. So they set up this test, you know, try to figure out what is Saul's mood towards David. So this, this Feast of the New moons coming up. It's a traditional Israel, is, Israel feast where they celebrate God's faithfulness in the previous month and look ahead to the next month. And David would be expected to eat with the king because he's the king's son-in-law and he's also a mighty warrior for the, for the, for the children of Israel. So that would just be expected. But instead he's going to go hide in a field and he's just going to let Jonathan go to the feast. Because if, if Saul's going to try to kill him, he's going to kill him at the feast. And so Jonathan's not going to say, hey, hey, did you notice David's not here? But if Saul notices, he's going to give this explanation that, that, John, that David is actually over in Bethlehem with his family doing a sacrifice and however, whatever Saul's just immediate response is, that's his mood toward David. So if he's, he's immediately responds to anger, then David's going to die. But if he's okay with it, if he's calm, then David's probably safe. So they come up with this plan. But then in verse 8, David, David warns Jonathan. He says, therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have bought, brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there's iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? So he does a couple things in this First, First, he points out that Jonathan is in a covenant with David. And, and what he's referring to this, this covenant friendship that they form in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, verse 1. It says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then in verse 3, it says, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So he's pointing out, okay, we're in this, this covenant, so you better, better live up to us. And we, we don't have time to examine real in-depth tonight uh, what this, this covenant friendship would have looked like. But basically, um, it was uh, almost a political alliance. It was involved, you know, protecting each other, serving each other, and ultimately this friendship was very serious. And they were honor bound to fulfill their side of the covenant. And, and David's really nervous here. Like, he's, he's starting to wonder, who can I trust? So he points out, remember, Jonathan, you better, you better, you better hold up your side of this covenant. Like, you, you better. But then he adds, adds to the, the fact that, that Jonathan better be faithful. That, you know, if I've done something that I don't know about, if that's the reason Saul's trying to kill me, then, then just kill me now. You know, be a friend. You know, don't make me suffer a painful death at the hands of Saul. Be, be a friend to me. But Jonathan's response, Jonathan says, far be it from you in verse 9. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? So he responds, no, no, no. There's no way that there's a sin that Saul is trying to kill you for. So those, both of these men are wrestling through all these problems. You know, what is Saul's response? Why why is David going through this? So they don't know the whole picture. They don't know what Saul's mood is. They just don't know what's going to happen. And they have this plan but they just don't know the whole picture. And, and so often we're walking through trials and hardships. We don't know what God's plan is for us. We don't know other people who may be involved. We don't know all the elements. We just don't know the whole picture. Not only does, does submitting and involving unknowns, not only does it not involve not knowing why, not knowing the whole picture, but in this next section we'll see that it often involves not knowing the future. So look at me at verse 10. David says to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? So they've concocted this plan, but they need to figure out a way for Jonathan to relay the information. You know, what if Saul captures Jonathan, or what if Jonathan is being watched? Because Saul get, gets alerted that there's something going on. So what's going to happen? So then uh, look with me at verse 12 here. Jonathan, he, he renews their covenant first. He takes jo- David out into the field, and then he renews the covenant. He says, the Lord God of Israel is witness. And notice in this passage how many times he refers to God. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not sin to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety, and notice the Lord be with you as He has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall cut off the kindness from your house. For, uh, uh, you, not, you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the house of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord, notice, require it at the hands of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow, because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. So they go out into the field so that they can talk, make sure that they're talking privately. And he he again promises, okay, I'm going to be faithful to what we've set up. I'm going to relay you the information. But notice what he does. He expands the covenant. No longer is this covenant just going to be between, be between David and Jonathan. Our families are going to be involved. And, and why, why would he do this? See, Jonathan knows that over the past several months, even a couple of years, that, that David is becoming far more popular than Saul. And in all likelihood, David's going to take over, take over the kingdom. Not Jonathan, who's the crown prince, but David. And in common practice back in, in, the, in, in dynasties and kingdoms like that, a common practice would be to kill off all the members of any opposition in the dynasties. I mean, we'd kill them all off. And Jonathan realizes that there's a good likelihood that you're going to be sitting on the throne one day. And so I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to expand. We're going to have a covenant relationship between my family and your family. So you're going to protect them. You're not going to kill them off. You're going to protect them. So he doesn't know how this specific situation is going to turn out, what Saul's response to David is going to be. But he's, he's thinking ahead to the future. Even though he doesn't know how it's going to turn out, he's going to protect his family. So he expands the covenant. And then he comes up with a plan, how to warn David, how to, how to warn the information that they're trying to get. Verse 18, he says to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed or on the workday and remain by the stone ezel. Then I'll shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I'll send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way. For the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. So he reveals his plan. You know, they're gonna go, uh, Jonathan's going to go out into the field in three days. He's going to act like he's practicing archery. And he's going to shoot three arrows. He's going to send a young boy to go get them. And depending on what he says, David, who will be out in the field hiding, he'll, he'll know what, what was Saul's intent. So they set up this plan. But then look, and notice in verse 22, he says, go your way for what? The Lord has sent you away. You know, David and Jonathan, Jonathan has no idea why David's in this situation, why Jonathan's been been involved in the situation. But he knows that for some reason the Lord Lord has put them there, and they don't know how the test is going to turn out, what Saul's response is going to be, but they know that God is sovereign, and he's going to be the one that decides what's going to happen. So does Jonathan know the plan? No. But he submits to the God who does. So so often we face circumstances that involve a lot of unknowns. You know, we don't know why. We don't know what the future is. We don't know how God will work. But we should know our God. We should know that we don't know His plan, but that He does. That He's in control. And that when submitting to His plan involves facing unknowns, we should be able to gladly, because we know the God who's asking us to submit. So in this first section, we've seen, you know, submitting often involves facing unknowns. And And in reality, we face unknowns every day. Big things, small things, we face unknowns. But what happens when it expands and when submitting to God puts you in danger? What do you do? Do you follow his plan still? Do you run? And what does that submission to God amid danger look like? Look with me at verse 24. Then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. So we're transitioning from the plan to the actual action. So, you know, if this was a movie, this is where the the music starts to get all intense, you know, what's going to happen? Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. So they're they're taking their traditional places at, at the feast. You know, this would have been pretty normal. But you don't get the impression this, this was supposed to be a very merry time, the, the Feast of the New Moon, you know, rejoicing what God has done. You don't get the impression that this is a, a nice merry feast. You know, we're all, re, we're all rejoicing here. I mean, Saul has just come back from attempting to kill David, and he was ultimately stopped by the Lord. So he's probably not very happy about that. So it's probably just a very, very tense environment. And notice Saul's, uh, David's place was empty. Now Saul notices this in verse 26, but Saul... Did not say anything that day, for he thought something had happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. There's some reason he's ceremonially unclean. That's not not uncommon, so it's fine. And it happened the second day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. So this ceremonial uncleanness, you may have been unclean the first day, but the, the, the uncleanness only lasted one day. So second day, David's not there, so we know something's up. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So they're like, what's up? Where is he? And, and, and this is the big moment here. You know, Jonathan is going to explain something, and Saul's response is going to determine everything. And In fact, it's going to really determine David's future for the, for the remainder of Saul's life. So this, this is a big moment. And how, how does Jonathan walk into this? Does he walk in all fearful, you know, shaking? He walks in calm and peaceful. Notice his response in verse 28. Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said to me, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore he's not come to the king's table. So he gives his reason. And what's Saul's response? Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. That's some very strong language. All our questions are answered. Saul is going to kill David. And notice, what bothers him so much about David? He says that Jonathan is side with him, and that as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth... Jonathan is not going to be king. Saul knows again, David's more popular. He's going to take over the throne. So contrast, contrast Saul's response. You know, fear, I'm going, to take, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to kill off this opposition to Jonathan, calmly submitting, walking into the face of danger. Those, those, two, those two different responses to God's plan. And so he orders Jonathan to bring David to have him killed because he knows somehow that Jonathan has come up with a plot. With, with David. So he's like, bring him to me. And, and what, what, is, what is Jonathan's response to Saul's anger? Does, does he run away in fear? No, he says, Jonathan answered Saul's father and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? He, he's defending his friend. And then what does Saul do? He cast a spear at Jonathan to kill him. By which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So now Saul's taking out his anger on his own son. He's trying to kill his own son because he's so mad. But Jonathan's response, he's defending what is right. And when Saul throws a spear at him, he doesn't just take off running, and gets out of there as fast as possible. What does he do? Verse 34, Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was greed for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So he's not bothered by the fact that his father just threw a spear at him. Is that David's being treated with injustice. He was willing to have peace going into a situation of danger, courage in the face of danger. Why? Because he knew that God had him there for a specific purpose. He didn't know the purpose. He didn't know what was going on. But he knew that God had him there for a reason. And you know, God may call you to a dangerous situation. But God doesn't promise that that when you go into that, that suddenly you'll just be safe, that the danger will be taken away. But if you submit to his plan and you go there, you'll be right where he wants you. I mean, you'll never be, be in a situation where God suddenly wait, oh, wait, where, what, He suddenly wakes up and is like, what, what, what are they doing? That, that wasn't in the plan. No, God's going to be right there with you. And suddenly, if you're submitting to where God wants you, the most dangerous place on earth has become the safest place because God's right there with you. So submitting, it may require facing unknowns. It may very well require facing danger. But what happens when when God calls us to submit, and when submitting, when it costs us? Verse 35, And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? He's warning David. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. The lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. So in this section here, Jonathan, he carries through on his promise. He promised to warn David, and he did. He did. And in effect, this warning is Jonathan giving up his kingdom. Because as has been pointed out, you know, Saul, Saul tells him, you're siding with David. That means that David's going to become king and not you. And Jonathan knows that. But he knows what, what the right thing to do is and what God's plan is for some, some reason. And so when submitting to God costs, costs us, it may cost giving up your position. And Jonathan was okay doing that. And in fact, in 1 Samuel 23, 17 and 18, he fully gives up any rights he has to the kingdom. You know, at this point, David has been on the run um, for quite, uh, quite a few months, and Jonathan comes and finds him. And he says, Jonathan says to David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall not be king. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So Jonathan is willing to give up any rights he has as a future king of Israel. I mean, he's going to be in charge of an entire kingdom. But he's willing to give that up because that's, that's what, for whatever reason, whatever God's plan is, that's what he's called Jonathan to do. But he doesn't just give up the kingdom. Right in the next two, next two verses, he proceeds to give up his relationships. Verse 41, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. The submission, that's that's the sign of ultimate submission, bowing down three times. David recognizes that Jonathan is still the crown prince, that he's still his superior. And then what? They kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. David knows what's coming. He's going to be on the run for the rest of his life. Until Saul dies, he can't can't be in Israel. He he, he won't be safe because Saul's coming for him. He knows what's coming in, in his immediate future. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he, David, arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So at the end of this scene, Jonathan's truly given up the things that are most important to him. He gave up the kingdom. He's given up his relationship with his best friend. His relationship with his father is shot because he's sided with David because he knew it was the right thing to do. So he's really standing there alone at this point. But he was willing to give up everything because he knew it was right, because he was submitting to God's, God's plan, no matter what it cost him. So submitting may involve facing unknowns, may involve facing danger, and it may cost us everything. But, but what do we do when we're, we're faced with those situations? You know, how do, we, how do we face that? I mean, we're so fearful. I mean, what, what is this going to cost me, God? But as we begin to submit to God's plan over and over again, we see that, that God is sovereign. And the fact that... And the fact is that because he is, we, we can, and more importantly, we must. We must submit to his plan for our lives. You know, as you begin to see God's work in your life, you can more easily trust him. You know, God doesn't promise it'll be easy. He doesn't say that you'll, you'll know the answers. You may never know all the answers. You may die wondering still, why did, why did I face that? He doesn't promise that submission is not going to cost you. But at the end here, there's just a couple of promises of God that I'd like us to work at and look at. First, Romans eight twenty-eight and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. So if you're a Christian, God promises that everything you'll ever face, he's working together for good. He's a sovereign God, and he's in control. Every situation, no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much it hurts, it's for your good. And what is that good? To look more and more like Christ, to be shaped into Christ's image. What else does God promise? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is is God's response to Paul, asking to take away the thorn in the flesh that's been been hurting him, that's been harming him. He asked three times, God would take it away. And what's God's response? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Not, I'll give you the strength to face this. My strength is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. So, so what does God promise us when he calls us to admit to something hard? You know, when doubts start to race through our mind, you know, God, God, I'm lonely. So we'll work together for good. God, it hurts. My strength is made perfect in weakness. God, God, I'm scared. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, God calls us to submit. That's that's a fact. We're called to submit. And He doesn't promise it'll be easy. He doesn't promise it will be pleasant. But no matter what he calls us to face, we can trust our sovereign God and his grace because that's sufficient for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, the promises is that, that you are a sovereign God. God, nothing is ever gonna happen that is out of your control. Father, we thank you for the life of Jonathan, a man who, who was called to face so much and he didn't know He didn't know why, God, he didn't know why you put him in in these situations, but he's willing to submit. Father, we can can draw hope and encouragement from his example. So, Father, I pray that you be with us now. Father, in this coming week, whatever you call us to submit, maybe something big, Father, maybe something small. I pray that we would would see that you are sovereign, God, that you know why we're facing this. And we give our faith and trust to you. So, Father, I pray if you be with us now, pray all